Have you ever noticed that there is no lack of options when it comes to worry? Life will take from you as much as you're willing to give it. Amen? You know the, the scripture where Jesus says, uh, uh, tomorrow has its own worries. I just want to just tell you, I put together a list today of thoughts and, and anxious questions that I have heard in the last 24 hours. Here's, here's that list. Did you know that there are some people that still don't have power yet? There, there are others dealing with the smell of trash that hasn't been picked up. Some are fighting with their insurance companies that don't want to give them money to pay for what they need to pay for. Others may not even have insurance. Some have had to move out of their house temporarily. People are asking, where will I get the money to rebuild? When will they pick up the debris in my front yard? Our Belchase family doesn't have a building right now. Kids are not back in school yet. Kids are having to get a COVID test, negative one, just to go back to school. Will we, will we have another storm before I have time to recover from this storm? And what's happening with my job? And will my flood insurance rates go up? Will my car insurance rates go up? What, what, what school will my kids go to in this kind of in-between season? What happens if I get sick? What if gas prices go up? What, what's going to happen to my 401k if it never does well? What if I say the wrong thing in that conversation? Is so-and-so mad at me? What if the Saints never make it to the playoffs this year? <laughs> How many of you are like, Pastor, I didn't have anxiety, but now I do. <laughs> Can I just tell you, these are all thoughts I've heard in the last 24 hours. And today, I want to read to you from a book called Philippians. And, and there's this guy named Paul, there's Jesus, and then there's a list of historical figures in Christianity that are, are kind of up there. Paul is one of them. And Paul wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament. And Paul is writing, and he's writing about anxiety, and he's writing about stress. But if you're like me, can I just, I don't just want to hear from anybody, right? I want to know, do you have credentials? Did you go to school for this? What gives you the right to speak with such expert opinion and authority on these things? I don't just like listening to anybody. I like to do my homework and research and go, is this person qualified? How many of you are like that? Come on, how many of you get on social media and you're like, oh my goodness, you're not an expert. Please stop talking. <laughs> and when I read this, I'm going, okay, Paul. I want to know what it is that gives you the right to tell me what to do with my anxiety. And so I want to read this in context for you. I want you to know what's going on. I want you to know and look at every single puzzle piece that comes together to make this picture of what's happening here in the text. And here's what's happening. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, which is 700 miles away. He was shipwrecked in Malta. I've been in a car accident. I've never been in a ship accident Paul was shipwrecked, and then he, he arrives in Rome during the reign of Nero, which was a terrible time to be a Christian. He gets imprisoned. You can imagine Paul right now, whose wrists are chafing from chain links. You can imagine his back being sore from being beaten, a guard watching him 24-7. He's not knowing, am I going to live or die? And he's writing to the church in Philippi, who, 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 who by the way, is dealing with their own set of anxieties. Here's, they, they've got their own reasons to be stressed as well because their leader was in jail and might be killed. Their own safety was being threatened because they were Christians. They had false teachers in their ranks. Oh, and two, like two influential leaders in their church were threatening the harmony because of an individual dispute. And it's in the middle of this anxiety-filled time that Paul begins to talk about anxiety. I don't know about you, 
but I'm not chained up. I'm not in prison. I'm not going through what Paul was going through. I think Paul has the qualifications to talk about this. And so I want you to take notes today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And it reads like this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, I think if we put our current crisis aside... I think we're just naturally an anxious people. How many of you would agree? We find things to be anxious for, right? Or how many of you have had this thought? I miss the list of things I was anxious about last month. I miss that list. Do you remember stepping on a scale in the morning and being anxious about a few pounds? I miss those days. Do you remember being anxious about your kid going to school because it's the start of a new semester? I miss those days. Do you remember wondering, will I get a promotion at work? And and now you're maybe wondering, do I even still have a job? Here's what I want to tell you, that regardless of season, circumstances, or stage of life, we are an anxious people, and we will find reasons to be anxious. And so I'm looking at our current stage and season, and I'm going, what's happening right now isn't creating anxiety. It's revealing the kind of anxious people that we naturally already are. And so we've got to deal with the root issue, not necessarily the circumstance. We will work through the circumstance together. We're going to link arms, and we're going to get through this. I'm telling you, better days are coming. But if we do not deal with the anxiety that rests inside of us and the habits that we've developed that create anxiety, my friends, we are going to spend our lives drowning. Here's what I want to tell you. God has an antidote for your anxiety. God wants to walk with you. God wants to meet you right where you are. God wants to come close and walk with you through these anxious days, moments, hours, weeks, and months. But can I just tell you, I want to talk to you for just a second, not about the solution to our anxiety, but I want to talk to you about the problem of anxiety. What is anxiety? Some of you are like, Pastor, I promise you I don't need a definition to know what anxiety is. I feel it every day. I, it, it's like a weight that's on my chest constantly where I have trouble. It's like a backpack full of weights. I don't need you to tell me. But for the sake of this conversation, let's just make sure that we're all working with the same kind of understanding. And so I want you to write this down. Anxiety is concern that is out of control. Anxiety is concern that is out of control. Can I just tell you, if, as long as there's breath in your lungs, you will be concerned about something. If you have kids, good luck not being concerned. If you are married, good luck not being concerned. If you have a job or are responsible for anything, good luck escaping concern. Concern will always be there, but anxiety doesn't always have to be. Because it's one thing to be concerned and to be in control. It's another thing when concern controls you. What is causing you or your world anxiety today? There are some legitimate causes for concern. 
Can I just tell you, don't feel bad for being concerned. We are all concerned. And there are some very legitimate reasons to be concerned. In fact, if you're not concerned, you're not breathing. What about emotional trauma? What about medical illnesses and diagnosis? And what about uh, living where we live? Weather is a concern. And, and, and the panic of being able to find resources is a concern. And the stress of school and our future and even finding our purpose, finding our identity is a concern. Uh, racism, injustice, politics, all of these are concerns that we are having today. Let me just tell you, friends, anxiety is anything that is separating, dividing, destroying your peace. Anything in your life that is dividing, separating, destroying, or dividing your peace. And, and I think we've got to ask ourselves the question today. I want to spend some time here. What are we allowing into our heart that is separating, dividing, destroying our peace? See, peace is something that I think people would pay millions for if they could purchase it and exchange it for resource. If they could buy, let me just tell you, I, for a year I had the privilege to live with a millionaire. I don't have time to get into that story, but can I just tell you what I discovered real quick? That house had more rooms in it than I even remember. I, I couldn't tell you. It was a lot of rooms. I woke up on a lot of mornings to this. <sighs> Justin, pancakes are ready. There was an intercom in my room and in every other room. And you would look up the number and you could talk to whoever in the room. But can I just tell you what I discovered after living with that millionaire family for a year? Money cannot purchase peace. Resources don't make up for a good night's sleep. How many of you would say, oh, a good night's sleep, that is invaluable. I've learned as an adult, Pastor Justin, that is so invaluable. The ability to just kind of not do this, that's invaluable. To just be still has become invaluable in my adult years. I'm just beginning to tell you, we've got to take inventory of what it is that is dividing, separating, or destroying our peace because there's a misconception that we have, and that is that peace is the absence of concern. But my friends, peace is not the absence of concern because concern will always be there. Let me just give you a working definition for peace today. Peace is having control over your concern. Anxiety. Concern that is out of control. Peace is concern that is under control. And God has not called you to walk around and, and, and be overwhelmed by your emotions and feelings and thoughts to the point where you are almost paralyzed. You know, they call this the paralysis by analysis. You've overthought it, and now you're frozen, and you can't even make a decision. You can't even move forward in the thing that God has called you to in your marriage, in your parenting, in your business, in your finances, where you just feel frozen because what if? I think the question that our people, our state, our city, our world is asking today is, how do I have peace over my concern? How many of you have ever been, how many of you have, have never, like you're not anxious as long as there's a plan? If I know what's coming, I can prepare. I love to be able to think something through, to plan it out, to prepare, and to be ready for something. Amen? How many of you are like that? As long as I know there's a plan, I'm good. I like to plan my work, and then I like to work my plan. And if I can do that, I'm good. But when my wife woke me up on Friday morning before the storm hit and said, we're evacuating, God, anxious. <laughs> I don't like a surprise. <laughs> 
Now, thank God she did that. It was the right thing to do. But, but, but had I known that that was coming all week, I would have put air in the tires. I would have gotten an oil change. I would have gotten gas. I would have gotten some road snacks. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have gotten some drinks, a cooler. I, I, I'm a, I like to have a plan. As long as I have a plan, I get some sense that I'm in control over that which I'm concerned about. And friends, I've got to tell you today, God has given us a plan. But we have got to do the work of planning the work and then working that plan. Today I want you to know that there is a solution, there is an answer, there is an end in sight to this thing called anxiety. But it's going to take maybe a little bit on our part. I just need you to know that up front. And so Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, he says, don't be anxious but pray about everything. The first thing that Paul tells us to do when we feel anxious is to pray. Now, is prayer where our wrestling match with anxiety ends? No. But it should be the place where our wrestling match with anxiety begins. And so Paul gives us a plan. And step one of that plan is you got to pray. You got to invite God into the situation. You got to ask for help. You got to come to Jesus. Can I just tell you, oftentimes the beginning of God moving in my life is when I've come to the end of myself and I've said, God, I cannot do this. I need help. Let me just tell a quick story. When we evacuated, we went back with my family to Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've never been to Abilene, don't. I used to joke about it growing up. There's more cows than people. I used to sing a song, Abilene, Abilene, ugliest town I've ever seen. I hated growing up in Abilene. There was nothing to do. And so when you live in Abilene, Texas, what you do as a kid is you go hunting and you go fishing. Now, that was fun, but, but, but my dad would take me on these hunting trips with his coworkers and with their kids. Now, I remember this one particular time we went deer hunting and 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 if you've ever gone hunting you don't like you get up before God wakes up you're up in the morning at 3:30 4 a.m. on site backpack you have everything you need because you're going hunting and I remember going to this I'm going to say mountain some of you that have seen the hills in Texas you're like boy don't say mountain it was a mountain okay I was 12 I was 12 it was a mountain now, what you need to know about me at this age is <clears throat> I was a big boy, okay? <clears throat> I'm talking inhaler up the stairs big. I'm talking out of breath tying my shoes big. I was a, let me just say, do you know who the guy that would hike, the guy that hikes the football and then defends the quarterback, the lineman? I was our school starting center, y'all. I was a big boy. And I'll never forget going on this mountain, and, and I'm on this mountain, and, and, and Matthew, would you help me preach this? Would you come up here? You're going to be uh, young, fat Justin, okay? Come on up. Come on up. Come on, man. And I'll never forget, here I am going up this mountain, and, and we're, we, we all start, dude. I, that's how I waddled. So. And I remember going up this mountain, and we're all going up together. We all started at the same time, and people are just starting to get mad at me. 
They're like, stop dragging your feet, Justin. And I'm like, I can't help it. They're heavier than yours. I'm just trying to get up this mountain. And they're, getting, they're being mean to me. And they're like, you're scaring off all the deer. And I'm trying to go up the mountain, Matthew. And then all of a sudden, there's distance and separation. And they're 10 yards ahead of me. And then they're 20 yards ahead of me. And then they're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 yards ahead of me. And I'm 12 years old sitting here looking like, like, dude, I wasn't a three-finger combo. I was like a family meal for like a pack of wolves or something. And I'm, I'm beginning to feel alone and it's dark and it's scary and I'm intimidated. And I'm sitting there. I can barely see anybody. I'm hearing bushes rumble. I'm hearing twigs snap. And what, what you need to know about that time was that mountain lions were, were overrunning the place. Like you could, you could just shoot as many as you want because they were, there was too many and they were killing all the other animals. And so I'm sitting there. They put that in my head, right, 12 years old. And then they leave me. And I'm sitting there going, I'm getting eaten for sure. And all of a sudden, I look around, and I felt so alone. No one's there. It's dark. I'm, I feel isolated. I feel like nobody cares. I feel like, man, they just done abandoned me. And I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I looked around, and I said, Help! Help! And everybody's mad again at me. And they're going, stop, go, dude, go get your son. They're looking at my dad and they're going, go get your boy. And my dad comes 60, 50, 40 yards back to me. He pulls up his shirt and he looks at me and says, grab my belt. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, that's the face I made. He said, come on, grab my belt. And he begins to pull me up this mountain. And all of a sudden, we go from 60 yards behind to 50, to 40, to 30, to 20, to 10. And all of a sudden, we're overpassing the other group. And I'm like, see you later, suckers. Come on. I'm, I'm now at the front of the group. Can I tell you what happened? The weakest in the group became the strongest when I connected to a greater source. I'm here to tell you, this is not a time to be strong, friends. This is a time to let God be your strength. This is not a time to lean on our own understanding. This is a time to lean on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. This is not a time to have all the answers. It's a time to stop and just say, help. Would you give it up for Fat Justin? Paul gives us a plan, but he says step one of this plan is prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is a declaration of a dependency upon God. Sometimes you just got to stop and say, I am at the end of myself, God, I need you. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know where my help is going to come from. But God, you said I can turn to you, so I'm turning to you. Paul says, step one, you got to pray. But friends, that's not the end of the game plan. Paul says, step one, pray. But then he says something that I find so fascinating. Because immediately after telling us to pray about everything, what is everything? Anything that might cause concern. Anything that might cause concern. Big, small, middle, wherever. Anything that might cause concern. Paul says, 
to pray. Don't just pray in crisis. Pray in the good times. Pray in the bad times. Pray in the boring times. Paul says to pray. And then he says something right here. And before I even get there, can I just tell you, I used to read this scripture so much differently. I used to read Philippians chapter 4 where it would say, uh, uh, don't be anxious but pray. And peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. I used to go, man, that's a good sermon. Let's compartmentalize that. And then I would go to the next passage, think about things that are noble and right and true and lovely and praiseworthy and excellent. And I go, man, that's also a great sermon. And I would separate them. But I'm reading this this week and I'm going, no, 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 no. You can't read the Bible like that. You got to look at the big picture, what's being said before and after. And I'm reading this and I'm going, no, no, no. Paul doesn't separate them. In fact, like an announcement person, have you ever had somebody like an administrator give you announcements and they run through, here, we got to do this, and hey, secondly, this, but lastly, they save the most important thing for last, right? They say, lastly, or finally. Paul looks at the church and he says, lastly, he says, finally. He says, think about things that are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Wait a second, Paul. What do you mean think on these things? You want me to think? Paul, what I really need you to do is to change my circumstances. But it's not our circumstances that need to be changed. And Paul knew this. It's how we think about our circumstances that needs change. Have you ever noticed how there are some people that can be going through crisis and it's almost like you wouldn't even know it? Their confession is life-giving. Their attitude is pure and uplifting. And they're, they're, they're steady almost. And then there are people, not like you and not like me, of course, that when anything goes wrong, the sky is falling. Have you ever met these two people? Can I just tell you, we were with, Sarah was telling the story, we were with somebody. This week, as we gutted their roof and as we walked through their house and we looked at the damage, and can I tell you, they had, they had a better attitude than we did. I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. I got work to get back to. I got a family to get back to. Are we, can we, like, and this guy is sitting there serving everybody. Can I get you a drink? Can I thank you so much? And, and man, God is taking care of me. Look who God sent me. The focus wasn't on what he lost. The focus was what on what he gained. Can I just tell you, anxiety is less to do with what's happening around us and more to do with what we allow to happen in us. It's not the thing that's happening to us. It's how we think about the thing. Now, this is hard, and this may even feel or sound insensitive right now, but if we look back a year before this crisis happened, we were struggling with anxiety then. We've got to deal with the root, and I am looking at our church, who I love, and I am pleading with you. We've got to become a church that learns how to pray and learns how to think. First, Paul says pray, and then Paul says think. He says pray and then think. This is the plan of attack for anxiety. Pray and think. Pray and think. And I'm going to go ahead and get into why here in just a second, because why do we think that Paul was, after just covering anxiety, and after just giving us an answer to the anxiety in our lives, begins to address the things that we should be thinking of? I think it's because Paul knew, led by the Holy Spirit, without knowing that 2,000 years later, science would prove him right. Paul understood that anxiety starts in the mind. What we think, we will eventually feel. 
So most of us are saying, I've got to change what I'm thinking about. But I want to give you a hint. It's not just what you think about. It's who you think about. We've got to learn to focus on Christ. We've got to learn to make more of Christ even in hard times. We've got to learn to look and fix our eyes on Jesus, friends. He's the only one who's still in control. He's the only one that knows what the end of today and the beginning of tomorrow looks like. He's the only one that is strong and capable and willing, and he's the only one. We cannot forget this. You know, sometimes we say things like, Jesus and church and Holy Spirit, and sometimes without even meaning to, it's like playing marbles with diamonds. These words hold weight, friends. We serve a God that is in charge, that is strong and able. And we cannot forget that. Let me just say it to you this way. If you want your stress to evaporate, make Christ the one on whom you concentrate. I want to contrast with you for a little bit today in Philippians 4 with another verse written by uh, the same guy to a different church that was under attack as well. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, this is how it reads. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Have you ever thought some crazy things? Come on, I've thought some crazy, I've thought some things that would make you want to find another church. And some of you, how many of you would admit, Pastor, if, if you knew what I thought, you'd ask me to find another church. <laughs> you can't control what you think about. But we can control how long we think about those thoughts. And, and, and depending on what we choose to dwell on will determine whether we cling to fear of circumstances or whether we cling to faith in Christ. This is why all of us in the room need to be in a small group. Because we need people that can look at us and go, no, 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 no. Put that thought away. No, 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 no. You're better than that. That's not, you ever been around somebody that says words like, it's never going to get better. It's always going to be this way. You need a small group that's going to look at you and say, no, 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 no. Get rid of those words always and never. That's a lie from the devil. Life happens in seasons. Every season has a beginning and every season has an end. There are some seasons that are better than others. And so don't limit your belief and perspective that it's always going to be limited to this season. No, no, no. There's another season coming. You got to get around people that are going to speak life and speak encouragement into you and over you. Can I just say it this way? You got to learn to interrogate your imagination. What's coming into your mind that has no business? No, 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 no. This ain't free real estate. Get out. I'm taking this thing captive. Paul uses language similar to a prisoner of war. You've got to take that thought and identify it and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. This thought is not noble. This thought is not right. This thought is not pure and lovely. No, no, no. This thought doesn't belong and has no right to stay in my mind. It's affecting what I'm thinking and feeling about. If I could go ahead and get the band to come up. I want you to know, Paul knew this when he was writing this letter. That your thought life is always producing in you either anxiety or peace. 
science would prove Paul right 2,000 years later. Did you know that your thoughts produce your emotions? This is why there's a genius to Paul. You got to pray and you got to think. You got to pray and you got to think. You want to know why? Because sometimes prayer is like emptying your heart before God. And then he says, think. Why? Because thoughts become emotions. Your brain and your heart are connected. He says, you're going to think thoughts that will become emotions that are either producing peace or anxiety in you. So you've got to pray and empty, and you've got to think and refill. You've got to pray and empty, and you've got to think and refill. You've got to pray and think, pray and think, empty and refill. Because what you think, you will feel, friends. How many of you have ever been around somebody that is always angry? Can I just tell you, that person woke up thinking about, that person owed me money. They woke up thinking, those people talk about me. Those people never gave me a chance. They're having angry thoughts. And what do angry thoughts produce? Angry emotions. You ever been around somebody and they think things like, Nobody's, nobody loves me. Nobody could, I'm, I'm no good. And then all of a sudden throughout the day they feel sad emotions. I'm not saying that it's limited to this. Mental illness is an issue, but I am telling you, friends, what we think, we feel. I want to put this up on the screen because I broke up what Paul said into columns. Can we put, them, can we put these up side by side into columns? The, there's, there's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. But then... I plugged this in on my computer this week. I wanted the opposing word to what Paul tells us to think about. And I wanted to look at them side by side. So Paul says, think about things that are noble. Have you ever had a dishonorable thought about a parent, an authority figure, a spouse, a loved one that that we were maybe called to honor and lift up and all we just wanted to do was, "Mm." have you ever had a thought like that? Paul says, think about things that are right. Have you ever had a thought that was wrong? Maybe you vocalized it in a group of friends and it was a joke or something that towed the line and people looked at you and went, man, that was wrong. Paul says, think about things that are pure. Now I'm just going to skip this one because I know nobody in this room has ever had an impure thought. So we're just going to skip that one. Paul says, think about things that are lovely. Have you ever had an ugly thought? Where you you just kind of went, I didn't even know that was in there. That was ugly. Have you ever had an admirable, uh, Paul says, think about things that are admirable. Have you ever been ashamed and you just thought, man, if anybody knew what I was thinking? Shameful thoughts. Paul says, think about things that are excellent. How many of you have ever had lazy, poor thoughts? I know I should care more. I know I should think harder on this, but I'm just exhausted. I don't even want to give it any energy. Paul says, think about things that are praiseworthy. Have you ever had a condemning, judgmental thought? Towards anybody else or yourself? Yeah, me too. Friends, I think that today God is pushing us towards a moment in his presence for us to think about what we think about. For us to audit our thoughts. For us to look in the mirror and go, I've been feeling a certain way the past couple of weeks. But what if we could change the way that we feel by changing the way that we think? What if we could have better thoughts that produce better emotions? Paul knew this inspired by the Holy Spirit that this is how it works. 
Some of us feed our mind all day with wrong thoughts and then we sit around and wonder why we're so emotionally unhealthy. So Paul tells us to think. He tells us to pray and then he tells us to think. And if you're like me, you go, but I don't always know what to pray about. And I don't always know what to talk to God about. And I don't always know how to approach and come to God. Can I just say it this way, friends? I don't think when Paul said pray and think that that was the end of the plan. I think it's pray and think and pray and think. I think it's more of a cycle. And here's how we know how to continue that cycle. If you are thinking about it, talk to God about it. If you are thinking about it, talk to God about it. Because whatever you think about, you will begin to feel about. God's desire was never for your feelings to weigh you down. God has so much better for you. And I love the way that Craig Rochelle says this. You know what a check engine light is? You know when you're driving and the check engine light comes on? It's, a, it's an indicator that it's time to go and see a mechanic and get something checked out and looked at because something's not right. Craig Rochelle says it this way. Anxiety is my indicator that it's time to pray. And I don't think Paul was calling the church to pray as much as he was calling the church to God. And when I call you to prayer today, because I'm going to call you to a moment of prayer in God's presence here in just a few minutes. I'm not necessarily calling you to the discipline of prayer as much as I'm calling you to the person of Jesus. Because here's what we do in 2021. We have found ways to manage our stress and anxiety that does not last. But because it gives us a temporary satisfaction, we keep coming back to it. Here's what happens. If we are not careful, Jesus will become one of many disciplines. And so we do yoga, and we read, and we meditate, and we juice, and we turn to entertainment, and we turn to stretching, and we turn to all these different things. But my friends, Jesus cannot, can I just tell you this? Prayer cannot become one of many disciplines because Jesus is not one of many sources. He is the only source. He is the only source of peace that's lasting. He is the only one that loves you enough to continue to take our stinking thinking and give us in exchange his thoughts. Can I tell you, friends, God has better thoughts. I need you to understand today that we've got to engage with our own thoughts and we've got to wrestle with them. And today, maybe you might have to confront a thought or two that we're not proud of. And maybe we're not okay vocalizing just yet, but friends, we've got to begin to do the hard work of auditing what it is that we think about. And just like in that illustration... God is right there, willing to be strong for us when we cannot be strong for ourselves. Let me just say 90% of our thought life is subconscious. And this makes this hard, doesn't it? I had a nutritionist friend tell me, Justin, you got to write down everything you eat. And it's going to reveal to you just how good or bad you're doing. I said, okay. So I started writing down breakfast, second breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner. I started writing all this down. And by the end of the day, I'm looking at it and I'm going, what? There's nothing but sugar here. Where's the fiber? There's lots of flavor. Where's the greens? Where's the vegetables? Is this really what I'm putting in my body? No wonder I feel so sick. 
No wonder I'm not, I don't have energy. No wonder I'm not doing all right. Friends, we've got to begin to do the same thing with our mind. Paul says, pray and empty and think and refill. We've got to begin to write down what are the thoughts that we need to exchange. Friends, today I'm going to ask you to come to the presence of God, to just come and enter into a moment where you go, God, this is a thought that I can clearly define, that I am aware of, that I know I regularly have. And God, I know that it's not life-giving. I know that it's not noble, right, pure. It's not any of those things. But God, I'm going to submit this, and I'm going to give it to you. And in exchange, the Holy Spirit's going to give you a better thought. The Holy Spirit is going to let you know who you are through God's Word. God will never speak something to you that he hasn't already spoken in his word and he'll not say something that you cannot find in his word either and so how do we renew our mind we've got to learn to hide the word of God in our hearts we've got to learn to set up a time and a place of prayer where we open our Bibles because in times like this can I just tell you what will sustain you words that are life-giving thoughts that are pure and right and noble God's thoughts friends 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares or anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. There is a God that cares for you, friends. He really, honestly, and truly does.